Welcome to another episode of Ripping on Bodice Rippers. I'm Kim. And I'm Jenny. And today we are reading... The Heart Principle by Helen Huang. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so, I'm really excited to talk about this book just because we've I've been meaning to talk or do a Helen Huang episode for yeah. a bit now. No, we talked about that like right at the very inception of this podcast. Yes. And I will say, like, spoiler alert, I love this book. Yeah. It was a good time. It was great. But the synopsis, which Jenny will be reading very soon, is a little deceptive. Sure is. And first, you said it was a good time. Would you say good? Okay. (laughs) But we'll get into it. (laughs) It was a good book. Yeah. A mildly stressful time Mm -hmm, at certain moments. For sure. So let's just jump into it, Jenny. Give us the synopsis. When violinist Anna Sun accidentally achieves career success with a viral YouTube video, she finds herself incapacitated and burned out from her attempts to replicate that moment. And when her longtime boyfriend announces he wants an open relationship before making a final commitment, a hurt and angry Anna decides if he wants an open relationship, then she does too. Translation, she's going to embark on a string of one-night stands. The more unacceptable the men, the better. That's where tattooed motorcycle riding Quan Dieppe comes in. Their first attempt at a one-night stand fails, as does their second and their third, because being with Quan is more than sex. He accepts Anna on an unconditional level that she herself has just begun to understand. However, when tragedy strikes Anna's family, she takes on a role that is ill-suited for until the burden of expectations threatens to destroy her. Anna and Quan have to fight for their chance at love, but to do that, they also have to fight for themselves. Yeah, I mean, it's all there. More or less all there. I would have appreciated just a little heads up, because in my opinion, this book was light on the romance, heavy on the character development. Oh, yeah. I mean, still definitely had all the elements of a romance, Mm -hmm. just... So, you know, the string of one night stands. There was there's no string. There is no string. It was just that one dude. Yeah. And also makes her seem like badass almost like Yeah, oh, and she will want- get to it. <laughs> yeah, which like the cover does as well. It makes her look like super assertive. Which Yeah, she's like she's not. this hot Asian lady wearing big black sunglasses, little mm-hmm. smirk on her face on the cover. And Anna is just the babiest of babies. Baby. Um, I think it's interesting though, talk that like Quan isn't like really on the cover. Like right. obviously he's riding a motorcycle in the back, but like you way see now in the back. way in the back. You see now with covers like they're both kind of just like separated, but on the cover. Will they end up? But no, he's not even, like, there, essentially. Which is, I guess, indicative of the novel. Like, it's definitely more I, of a focus on her. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is that the actual picture, like you said, is very actually indicative of the story, which is mainly focusing on Anna. But the synopsis would lead us to believe that they, like, play an equally important mm-hmm. role, which mm-hmm. is not true. So let's just jump into it. Like, there is surprise mention of uh suicide and family trauma like we talk about family trauma a lot but like this 
particular book get like loss of a parent very explicit yeah Mm -hmm. so so start of the episode just please know that before listening to the rest of it and Mm -hmm. we will say that was also an experience we wish we had going into the novel yeah i wonder if they'll consider doing like a content or trigger warning before the book like on other printings because that's actually been a criticism I've seen on like Goodreads story graph of like people being like what the fuck I thought this was going to be fun just like her other two and it's not and or at least you know update the synopsis somehow you're in publishing so I don't know what would be less uh, what would be the most cost effective is Mm. to write an entirely new synopsis or just to like somehow have a content warning yeah at the front of the book but okay so Not why sure. don't we just jump into it mm-hmm. our leading lady is Anna Sun yes and what was interesting is reading it i figured she was like some sort of autistic like on the spectrum yes and that she are that's something she already knew about herself me too no no so Anna is very shy, very, um, she's very introverted. Yeah. She plays by like social rules. Like if this person does this, then I should respond this way and smile in the way that like makes my eyes crinkle. And then that's a good interaction. Right. So that those were all of the hints of like, okay, she's masking all the time. Mm-hmm. And she was so aware that she's masking all the time that I was just like, oh, okay. She, you know, a woman living with autism or mm-hmm. not autistic woman living her life. Cool. Yeah. Chill. Not the case. No. Gurley is going to therapy because she cannot. So as the synopsis said, she became viral by playing this like unexpected solo at a recital mm-hmm. that got really big on YouTube. This happened before the novel starts. So we didn't actually experience that with yeah. her. And then because of that success, she kind of like got in her head and she's just like, well, millions of people now expect things of me. Mm-hmm. And now she's in a loop. Yeah. And she cannot play her instrument all the way through anymore. Well, she can't play the piece all the way through. So like she'll get stuck at like a specific part. And then she'll just and then keep just going restart. and going and going, which like I've been there, but oh my god, like reading about it was like so intense. And this like music is like the only genuine thing about her at the start of the novel because mm-hmm. every everything else, as we'll continue to talk about, she does for other people or she does it because she thinks that that is what quote unquote good people do. So music was like the only thing that she genuinely enjoyed until she couldn't enjoy it anymore. Right. So we meet her at this dark point. Yeah. And, and then she's going to therapy. She doesn't even enjoy therapy. Mm-hmm. She's in her head about therapy, trying to respond the way her therapist will want her to respond. Yeah. And her therapist, after a while, I like this depiction of the therapist yeah. where she's just like, okay. I've take I've taken some notes. I've gathered some things. Here is a book about your diagnosis. Just t- just take a gander, sit yeah. with it, see how you feel. So I don't really know because we've obviously read other books about people with autism. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, we talked about how Eve from um, the third... Actor oh age Eve Brown. Actor age Hedberg. Eve Brown. Mm-hmm. Yes. Got her diagnosis and was just like, cool, this makes sense. Doesn't yeah. change anything. Let's roll with it. Versus Anna, who has a completely different reaction. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't... So I don't really know if one portrayal is more authentic than the other because I'm sure every autistic person has their own yeah I mean, journey I've, with that Helen Huang and Talia Hibbert are both on the spectrum so I'm assuming that they've like taken from their own experience yeah with that um it was just interesting to me because I remember her freaking out at first and just like surely not and then immediately like up into the next paragraph being like yeah but actually she's like well now i have uh, read this whole book on a bench right outside my therapist's office and now i'm fully into the diagnosis and i agree which is great to like feel seen and feel like finally understood um but it was a whole 180 real quick because in the office she's like real quick absolutely fucking not bye not in those words right right yeah yeah just deep rejection of it and then like she reads it on the bench but Mm -hmm. i guess you know the book's already long enough helen huang probably didn't feel the need to like yeah drag that out for several more pages right it is it got to the point really quickly with that one um yeah so she's diagnosed um well, she says, like, the therapist is, like, you probably have Asperger's, but now that's been adopted into, like, the spectrum of autism. Yeah, so Asperger's she- is no longer a thing, a thing. Anna handles things very differently from yes. how I personally handle things, and she is from, um, a, she is the younger sister in a very traditionally Chinese family. Mm-hmm. So there there were a lot of similarities to my own traditional Vietnamese family that I have that I noticed where it's just like everyone is sort of she because she is younger there is a sort of expectation in the family hierarchy which is you just take every like you're just expected to take the shit that is right. thrown at you yeah. And handle it and, like, be okay with being disrespected and gaslit because you are younger. And how I handle that is just by being loud and awful, mm-hmm. just kicking and screaming. And how Anna handles it is just she's going to swallow the shit. Yep. And reading that was so intensely frustrating. Yeah. She walks the straight line, like, as much as she can, even if it hurts herself in the process. She does not stand up for herself at all. At, at all. least in the first two acts, I would say. And like, there was a point before the diagnosis where she was just like, I need to do this because it is expected and it's fine. Mm-hmm. And there was a point after the diagnosis where she's like, oh, I am aware now that this is actively not okay and it is actively hurting me, but I'm still gonna just keep going with it. And I was like, no, wait, but you had the revelation that it was hurting you. Right. But I also understand that, you know, different people handle their shit differently. Yes. And I will I can't say, f- I yeah, also would like make completely different 
decisions than she did and like the way that she reacts is like oh my god what are you doing right now where like she's just like self-sabotaging continuously mm-hmm. and I'm like can you just take a break and take care of yourself <laughs> please and I can't fault her for wanting familial like uh love and good mm-hmm. because she starts the book thinking that like every sort of um love acceptance uh gratification that she's gonna receive is Mm. conditional right like she has to be good in order to receive those support that support from her family which we find out later that it's not true at least from her mom like her big sister will fucking get to oh my god but so I can't fault her for wanting to strive for those things because instinctually we all want those things from somewhere. Mm-hmm. But it's just like after meeting Quan, and I was just like, well, you see now what unconditional love looks like. So why do you still let yourself be treated this way? But again, well, that's just is... because I am a different personality exactly. than her. Exactly. And it might be like a coping mechanism. It definitely is a coping mechanism to like keep doing it, even though she's hurting, because it's what she's done her whole life. Um, how old is she supposed to be? Like in her late twenties? I thought early twenties, but yeah, maybe like mid twenties now. Mid twenties. So she's like done it her whole life too. So I'm assuming like, yes, yeah. Even her like not masking with Quan and like being her full self is probably like a lot to do. And she says that it's really freeing, but I imagine like then have like not putting like the switch on again and acting like quote unquote normal is Mm -hmm. difficult to do and like even minuscule like interactions like going out to like the grocery store yeah that's true but like outside of the like learned trauma response that she has she's a really sweet really funny person yeah she has this pet rock that she actively (laughs) talks to and every time she mentions it, I thought it was like a re- like a really fun. And I really thought it cute was thing. so funny. That was like honestly my favorite, not my favorite part of the book because there's better stuff than a pet rock. But like whenever he showed up, I was like, oh, the pet rock, yay! Yeah, because it's not like she was like, oh ha, like she's self-deprecating about it. Ha ha, I can't keep anything alive, so I have a pet mm-hmm. rock. But then she actively treats it like an actual pet. And it's so adorable. It's so cute. Do I know the pet rock's name? No. I think it's Rock. She named it Rock. Uh, Okay. Yeah, so it's just cute little stuff like that. And she watches, like, David Attenborough documentaries on Netflix over and over again. She's Mm -hmm. just, you know, a typical millennial slash Gen Zer. Yeah. Living her life, figuring shit out. Mm Mm-hmm unfortunately coming from a family where living your life and figuring shit out is not acceptable yeah she's going really through a fucking rough time this whole entire book um but the second main character is Quan, and he Mm -hmm. really helps her out and is literally the only reason she's able to push through sometimes and he's great i love him he's great Starting this book, I didn't realize until I was reading it that this that he is the older brother of the main character in The Bride Test, which mm-hmm. I adored that book. They are a Vietnamese family. 
so the thing Quan is like a very American pronunciation, but because this book is written without like the little accent mark, I don't actually know how it's supposed to be pronounced in Vietnamese. Like I can give a guess, but mm. there are a variety of ways that the A can be accented that will make it different names. Okay. So for simplicity's sake, we're just going to keep say- calling Quan, but I just wanted to make that note. Mm-hmm. Um, because Quan by itself sounds like, I don't know, it could also be like a Chinese or Korean name. Mm-hmm. And in Vietnamese, you wouldn't hit the Q quite that hard, but I digress. Okay. He is a very tattooed man, which I find mm. super attractive. Lovely. That's so lovely. Hot. For him, for and us. so does Anna. For Anna. So good. Mm. And just, you know, is the typical, like, gruff exterior soft mm-hmm. inside archetype that we manly man out on the outside <laughs> uh, and does he do one thing wrong in this novel no no oh you know what he does do one thing wrong the grand canyon run <laughs> i was like sir that was against himself yes that was quite destructive but he didn't hurt anyone yeah so kwan has his own shit to deal with he's recovering from testicular cancer which woof. Mm. Which I, like, honestly forgot about because I've also read the first two books before this one. And mm-hmm. I was like, did he have cancer? And then they didn't, like, actually say it for at least, like, 40 pages. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> Making sure I actually remembered this. Yeah. So the shit that he's going through is because of the testicular cancer. He lost a, like, they took a testicle. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, like, want a prosthetic. So now he is, you know, just living his life. One, one testicle. Yep. And it was a really big deal in this book. Yeah. And I'm and now and I know it's tied to manhood in like mm-hmm. so many ways. It's just like getting a mastectomy wouldn't mess with your Yeah. Like self image. And I understand that. But, but it like does because not I'm work. not a man, I'm just like, eh, it's fine. You have one yeah. ball. Well we don't really also, I don't think it, like, worked that much, because even though Quan has his own chapters, like, most of his introspection is about Anna and how yeah. she's doing. <laughs> yes. Like, he does yeah. not have any sort of introspection about, like, his body image and, like, what this actually means to him. Like, he'll have some, like, lines here and there, but, like, most about not of his being chapters... not anymore. Yeah. Yeah, most of his chapters are fully dedicated to, like, yep. him and Anna or Anna. Yep. <laughs> so, like, there's not much to go on of, like the deep feelings he actually feels so we couldn't like get into that sense of like shame or mm-hmm. like weakness that he seems to have that just like wasn't fully parsed through in the book yeah i agree because it would just be like a line here or there because okay the other thing is because of both of their issues the build-up to the actual sex scene fantastic oh my god it was fantastic but it lasted for fucking ever so long yeah and so there would just be moments where it's like he he's really hot he's really horny and then all of a sudden he like gets into his own head about Mm -hmm. not being a complete man and not being manly enough and anna is just like what (laughs) you're you're so hot please just it's fine like Mm mm-hmm but she doesn't communicate well because she's so flustered. So she's just like silent. <laughs> I'm like, girl, affirm him, affirm him. 
Yeah, so that's us as readers. We're just like, oh my god, just please, just talk to each other. Yeah. Like, you're both so horny. So are you both not also recognizing that the other person is just as horny as you are? Yeah, Yeah, they always, like, doubt each other's affection early on. And I'm like, y'all are talking about how fucking gushing wet she is. And you're like, but will she like it? (laughs) Like, sir. Yes. Sir. She's actively liking it. <laughs> Nothing changed. Yeah, so those are our two main characters. And the secondary characters, there is the main villain. Priscilla. Priscilla. But Fuck her. Hong really chose the right name. Sorry to any Priscilla's listening yeah. to our podcast. I'm sure. sure you're a lovely person. You're wonderful. However. Prisc- Bad. She's just the worst. I was hoping for like a real cathartic moment at the end mm-hmm. where Anna can just really unload herself onto her shitty big sister and it just never came. No, like it kind of came, but then like Priscilla took over, like took control of the conversation again and like left yeah. Anna just like essentially running away that I was like. Oh, that's it. Like we're mm-hmm, not gonna. Mm-hmm, she's not mm-hmm. gonna get a comeuppance at all. So she is like the typical, like type A. Everything has to be perfect. Everything is in my control, including everyone in my life. Kind of character. Mm. I am. It was never said, but the whole the whole book, I kept envisioning her in a, like a very sleek black blob or a, like. <laughs> bob haircut yeah you know yeah and just like is hot but in a mean way yeah like um oh gosh in crazy rich asians uh yeah. henry, henry golding's mom in that yeah. she's so mm-hmm. hot and so mean and so mean yes and so she is 15 years older than her sister Mm-hmm. So she just automatically assumes this authority role where she's like, you have to respect me and you don't get to talk back to me. And I'm just and that is also like, you know, a common theme in the Asian household. Yeah. Once again, I'm very glad I'm an only child. Mm-hmm. But regardless, like. So I understand, right, that it is expe- a lot is expected of her being in this household. She has to succeed. She has to be the best. And then she also has to be a secondary mom figure to her younger sister. That being said, she sucks at it. Mm-hmm. She really ver- fucking sucks. <laughs> That's it, my um, whole opinion of her. And I know we've said this without exactly giving you details, but it's just like every time I think about, I try to think about a specifics, I'm just like, it's all of it. It's every interaction they have in this book. Yeah. She is consistently terrible. First sign of her being like, not irredeemable, because I'm sure other people react badly to like diagnoses all the time mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. come around to it. But first, Priscilla never comes around to Anna's diagnosis of her mm-hmm. being on the spectrum, like, ever. And ever. when Anna tells her, Priscilla's just like, you're just saying that as an excuse because you like to be lazy and do nothing, and you're just a horrible person, and you're shitty right. and lazy. And it's like, yep. holy shit. Like, not only do you just say, like, oh, I don't know, I don't really believe that, 
you're like turning it on her to be like you're just using this as a scapegoat and in turn like hurting other people on the spectrum that that was like a whole thing she said and i was mm-hmm. like holy shit bitch yeah I'm like how are you even jumping there like that is especially a lot. because later on their cousin was like oh anna might have autism and then her cousin was like you know what like that checks she out. Was, she had a really hard time in childhood. She was really quiet. Mm-hmm. And Priscilla just never... She is incapable of thinking about things outside of her own perspective. Yes. So then automatically everything else, like every other person in her life is a reflection of her, which is why I'm sure she's just like, my little sister can't have autism because that means something negative about me. Right. Which is A, disgusting towards people with autism. Yeah. And be missing the point. Fully. Like, there's no empathy there. And, like, so self-centering. It's baffling. Baffling. Yeah. So she uh, triggered me real bad. I was wearing my little Apple Watch reading this. And there were moments where it was, like, literally 120 (gasps) BPMs because I was so enraged. Oh, my God. Yeah. And there's this one scene that, like, Kim and I... Generally, for books that we do on the podcast, we, like, do not text about it. We try and, like, have everything as fresh as possible for the podcast so we can have genuine reactions. But we could not not text about Priscilla because I was like, wait a fucking minute. And there's a moment in the third act where both of us were just like, we had to stop. We had to take a break and set it down and come back to it because it was just making us, like, so angry and frustrated yeah Yeah, she's not a real person so i don't have to be empathetic and understanding towards her i fully wanted her to get struck by a bus like in this (laughs) novel like i'm sure it wouldn't do anna any good like she would just anna knowing her would just pile on that guilt to the other guilt pile that she already has for herself the guilt pile it would have been it would have been cathartic for me as a reader please I'm like, instead of throwing your fucking violin down the stairs, just like give your sister a little, a little push. And I'm like, but don't, don't caretake for her because that was not well suited for Anna um, at all. Just send her to the hospital. She needs to go. Okay. (laughs) And then there was Julian, Anna's ex-boyfriend. God, I forgot about him. ball of a person. Fully taking advantage of her. He's just a very, like, average guy from a well-to-do family, therefore is successful. Yes. But it's, like, so fucking gross. Like, normally he's irrelevant. Like, when you brought him up, I was like, oh, forgot about him. When I was reading the synopsis, I was like, oh, I forgot, like, Julian did that whole open Mm -hmm. relationship thing, which is literally what starts the plot. Um because he's just like not in my mind at all but whenever he like came up i was like ugh, it's it's like that skeevy guy Mm -hmm, who just mm -hmm. gives you horrible vibes and he's like Mm -hmm. all about himself and well to do and it's like are you even intelligent are you just privileged correct yeah yeah so 
And it wasn't like, you know, so a lot of rom-coms start off with she's dating someone and it clearly they both lack chemistry. They're mm-hmm. just willing to forge on forward. Mm-hmm. But it's like the guy is like mildly incompetent, but not actually that bad. Yeah. No, not in this case. Julian is just fully shitty, awful. So he's just like, I don't want to say that he knows that Anna is autistic, but he mm-hmm. knows that Anna is different right and instead of trying to understand her he uses that knowledge to like do whatever he wants in a relationship manipulate her and yeah so the scene that opened up very quickly was like he pops back into her life they go for a dinner she didn't actually want to go to dinner and then fucking the blowjob oh my god Uh, so it was horrible it was horrible to read i was like it was horrible to read because she's not, she doesn't want to give him a blowjob, but he's, she's doing it, and yeah. this is a pattern with her. She just does things because other people wants her to. Mm. And she fully says that. She's like, I'm not into this, but he loves a blowjob, so. Right. And she's, like, fully thinking about something else. She, like, thinks it's gross. She doesn't, would you, like, consider this assault? Right. Like, I don't yeah. know. It's definitely non-consensual. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, def- if not assault, definitely coerced. Yeah. Because everything he does is coercive in this novel. Yeah. So we we are skeeved out right away. And then mm-hmm. after the blowjob, this man has the audacity to be like, so um, I want to open up our relationship. Like literally five seconds later, she's like, you know, she brushed her teeth afterwards. Just swallowed his cum to make him feel better. <gasps> Horrific. Right, right. Ladies. No. No. You don't need to. Um... And then, like, comes back after, like, brushing her teeth. And he's like, so I want to have sex with other people? And it's like... Because, yeah. Yeah. And then she, of course, very, like, very understandably is upset. But also, you know, is like, well, does that mean I get to sleep with other people? And the motherfucker said, oh, but you're not going to. It's like, I know you. You're not a girl who does stuff like that. Yeah, he said she doesn't like sex. And I was just like, that says, you know, I don't know if he's white. I don't think he is because no. of later interactions in the book. But he it, comes off it says so a white. lot. It's, it says a lot about, like, a man's unearned confidence where they are more likely to believe that a, their partner doesn't like sex than uh-huh. to believe that they are not good at it. It's so Ben Shif- Shapiro vibes like that fucking headline from earlier this year when he was like talking about how his like wife or partner like didn't get wet during sex and I was like sir in response to the iconic wet ass pussy by Cardi (laughs) B and I was like really this is the discourse we're having yeah like obviously there's people who have like medical conditions who can't but odds are yeah he's just fucking bad at sex and will not admit it and there are asexual people out there who doesn't like sex, but that is something for that person to say. Yeah. So, and Anna has never once said, I am asexual. I don't want to have sex with you. He just assumed it because mm-hmm. she doesn't want to have sex with him. Yeah. It sounds like he fucking sucks, too. Like, she's, like, going down on him after, like, he coerced her to. And there's, like, no indication that he'll do anything for her. Nothing. I'm like, ew. She said at a later point, she's like, the few times we do have sex, it just like he, he just, it stuff is happening. He enters me and then eventually my body just warms up to it and lubricates. Ugh. 
And I'm just like, oh, that sounds like it hurts. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like they're using lube at first either. Of course he wouldn't. He would not. Would insult his manhood. So again, yeah. it's Anna's fault for some reason. Fuck. Helen Huang w- wrote some really great villains for this book. Yeah. Like Priscilla yeah, is top tier, but like Julian is the little henchman that could. No, literally like Disney villain style because mm-hmm. Priscilla was the one that like set them up. Yeah. Like whenever we talk about Priscilla, like my mind is automatically thinking about like the evil stepsisters in Cinderella. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, and then, you know, there are her parents. Mm-hmm. And there's Kwan's best friend, Michael, who just acts as the best friend in every in every rom-com. Yeah. And is Michael, there to support him. Yeah. Be like, you're doing great. I love you. To show, like, someone has a right. support system. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but Michael was the male love interest for the first book in the series, The Kiss Quotient. Oh. Mm-hmm. And his okay. wife, Stella, is the love interest in there. I gotcha. Or the main okay. character. Because I've read Bride Test and I read this one. I have not read Kiss Quotient. Yeah. Okay. That's why he like shows up so much. <laughs> I gotcha. It's like, why so is Michael I will, here? I will say, given that Quan is the, supposed to be the second main character, I wish there was a little bit more Vietnamese representation. Mm-hmm. But readers, if you're looking for that, I will say Bride Test has a lot of it. It does it a lot better, too. Like, And it's, Yeah. So much more focused on, like, family as well mm-hmm. and those, like, family mm-hmm. dynamics where, like, Quan is supposed to be, like, super close with Kai. That's his name, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, Kai's barely in here. Like, maybe one or two scenes. That's it. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. felt, which felt odd. It did felt feel odd. And, like, because Kai is also autistic, you would think that it would come up more. Yeah. Because Anna is visibly upset with this diagnosis, or at least, mm-hmm. like, is unsure about this diagnosis. And when she shares that with Quan, I expected Quan to be like, well, my brother's also autistic if yeah. you want to, like, compare notes. Right. Like, I thought they would, like, meet up and Stella from the first book is also on the spectrum. So I was like, oh, are we going to have, like, a cute scene where, like, Anna feels like she has a community and she's supported? No sister is all alone and i mean like i understand it right it's that thing where it's just like oh my friend's asian do you know each other like we don't want to do that mm-hmm. but it's just like anna was literally telling him i'm unsure about this it feels right but i'm also being gaslit by my horrible sister into thinking that maybe this is not it so i feel like it would have been very helpful to be like well i know an actually autistic person mm-hmm. so if you want to chat he can probably like a tell you that it doesn't take anything away from his struggles Mm -hmm. for you to accept a diagnosis to alleviate that fear yeah that stupid ass thought priscilla put into her head not your diagnosis hurts actual people with autism what even is that it's like how do you think other people found out about their autism they also got diagnosed yeah also like actual people what does that mean (laughs) so gross um i feel like this whole episode will be us like then mentioning it's been 37 (laughs) it's been 37 minutes of just dunking on priscilla but i i hate her i hate her so much 
I was just going to say, the 60% of this book that was about her around her shitty family was very stressful, but the 30% where it's about her and Quan figuring out their relationship oh, was really cute. It was wonderful. And it was like my favorite part of the book because obviously I came here to read a lighthearted <laughs> romance. <laughs> and while this is not lighthearted, nor would I confidently say this is a romance, um, that yeah. part was really great because Helen Huang is the romance novelist. Yep. And is so fucking good at writing. Like, the entire time I was reading this, I was like, okay, this isn't what I thought it would be. But she's so good at, like, evoking emotions, even if it is, like, anger and frustration. But in the happy times, I was like, holy shit. Oh, I love so this. Cute. It's so yes. cute. So, you know, they meet because Anna is mad that mm-hmm. her shitty boyfriend's being shitty and is opening up their relationship. Mm-hmm. And then he accidentally texted her when he meant to text uh. his the girl that he's left with. Mm-hmm. Fuck off. So she was like, okay, I'm going to set up this dating profile. Yeah. I honestly would have loved to see Anna's dating profile because I think it would have been so pure. Well, I think when Quan looks at it, it's pretty, like, bare bones, like... No yeah. description, like two pictures, <laughs> sort of. Which, like, yeah. hey, if that's working, like, hell yeah, good for you. That means she's You're probably hot. so hot. Mm-hmm. We know she is because Quan and also other people were just like, she's hot. I just, I don't know. She just is so innocent. <laughs> yeah, that I. That when she said, okay, I'm going to put a profile up and very clearly indicate in the profile that I'm looking for a one-night stand, my haunches just kind of goes up. Mm-hmm. And somehow she didn't get a creep. I, I know. I was just like, no, sweetie. I don't think you're ready for this. I know. I'm surprised, like, the book didn't go into, like, oh, these fucking creeps are messaging me and, like, Quan's the only, like, good guy in this bunch or something like that. It was more like... She started messaging Quan, and that was it. And even when they were, like, together, she sometimes accidentally messaged other guys because the app wasn't confusing, but we didn't, like, hear anything yeah. about the other men. It was, like, all about Quan. So I would assume right. she, she, like, essentially stopped talking to any guys once she met Quan. Yeah. Well, we also, like, we did see a couple but it wasn't creepy it was just like not gonna go anywhere it was just like the haha what you doing kind of messages oh wow forgettable to the point i forgot very (laughs) (laughs) but kwan similarly set up his dating profile because he wants to hook up with someone just to get the first time over with Mm -hmm. the first time after his his cancer after his surgery Which, you know, good for you if that's how it's going to work out. But Quan should have known that he was so intensely insecure Mm -hmm. about some girl, like, looking just, like, being put off by his body. Then why would a stranger be the best avenue to do that with? Because you need trust. That's the whole point, then. If you're feeling so vulnerable, then do it with someone you trust, which obviously he trusts Anna by the time. They, like, actually have sex. They have sex, Um, But, yeah, One Night Stank one? Was that the best option? He doesn't know. I don't know. (laughs) He's 
I used to be good at sex, and I'm sure I am again. I just want to prove it to myself. God, he's so hot. So hot. The, uh, the descriptions about how good he is at sex, I was like, please, don't do this to me. Stop it, Helen. <laughs> don't do this to me if you're not going to pay it off within the next paragraph. It was not. Because it dragged on for quite a bit. Did you not like how long it took? No, I liked it, but it was still like, you know. Yeah. Why am I sexually I frustrated in the middle of my clinicals right now? Mm, I see. It's like, I'm supposed to be drawing this person's blood, <laughs> which is supremely not sexy. <laughs> That's true. <sighs> it did amp up for, um, it was amping for a while. I will say, so given that, you would expect there to be a little bit more angst about like, Oh, we said we'd just be one night stand. So even mm. though I like her, we're not going to be anything. There really wasn't no. that much. There was a little bit of it. But then Kwame was just like, this is dumb. Can we date? And then I was just like, sure. Okay. Yeah. And that was that. And they're dating. And I was like, oh, given the synopsis, the synopsis of this book, I thought that was going to be like the central conflict. Right. It was like, I don't know if he's actually into me or if he's just doing this for sex, but no, it was like resolved in like two chapters where she was right. like, I like talking to him. And then Quan would talk to Michael and Michael's like, that means you have you a like girlfriend her. if you've been on multiple dates. That's a girlfriend. Yeah. And then the next chapter, they were official. Yeah. Which was lovely to see. It, it was refreshing, but then it made me nervous because it was like you said, it was like the next chapter and there was another two thirds of the book. Uh-huh. And I was like, wait a second. What's yeah. happening? They're together and they're happy. Right. Ominous music starts playing in the background. Yeah, it's like, oh, wait, these two people aren't going to have a miscommunication trope. That's not what the whole thing is. It's like, actually, the plot is death, grief, depression. So they start messaging on the app. They watch a nature documentary together. Cuties. Mm. Adorable. And then, you know, they're like, let's meet at this bar because that's what that's what one night stands do. Mm-hmm. And so when he does show up in his motorcycle, and leather jacket and tattoos on his neck, she ran into the bathroom. She's like, oh, fuck, he's hot. She was like, he actually looks like he does on his profile. Can't and she got it. so overwhelmed. She hid in the bathroom. I, I don't know why, because normally I like cringe at moments like that. Because I was just like, I would die. Mm-hmm. She pulled it off. Just, but it was adorable. Because like was. she leaves the bathroom and like runs into him. And he's like very sweet and understanding. Which yeah. I think other guys really wouldn't be. Would not be. He has like a great amount of empathy. Where like, I thought I think the normal reaction would be like, what the hell? Like, why'd you stand me up and like getting angry? And when he sees her, he's just like, are you okay? <laughs> like... Maybe she just looked, it was just obvious the amount of terror in her face that he was just like, oh, she, it's not like she saw me and was like, ew, gross, I'm going to go hide in the bathroom. Like, clearly she's, like, dealing with something. Yeah. And he's so patient, too, because, like, he's like, do you want to get out of here? And then they, like, have their first attempt at having sex and she, like, totally freezes up, um, I don't know how early on. It's a bit of a a blur now, but... It's a blur for me, too, because there were several attempts leading up Mm -hmm. to the actual sex. And so that... mm. I think they maybe just kiss. That first date didn't happen in person. So after she freaked out, Mm 
Mm-hmm. He was like, and she runs off and he texts her when she gets home and was like, hey, are you okay? I'm worried about you. Mm, right. So the first text happened via phone where they both just watch a movie separately, mm-hmm. but together. Yes. And then the second one was she invited him over to the apartment to cook dinner. Right. Okay. Thank as you. As an attempt to, as a second attempt to do a one night stand. Mm-hmm. And things got very hot and heavy. They're making out. Yep. I was sweating. She was sweating. He was sweating. There Everyone was a lot of discussions sweating. of how wet she was. And I was like, oh, okay. Please. Even she was surprised by it because, again, Julian sucks. And yeah. He's never made her aroused once. <laughs> and she was just like, what is this feeling? Was, I'm like, girly. Hot. I was like, it's called horniness, sweetie. It's like, you're ready for sex now. Like, <laughs> your body is prepping itself. It's prepping itself, and he's fingering her, and he was like, show me how you want it, and mm. she can't talk about it. Yeah. She's, like, so intensely, not innocent is the wrong word, but she's no. so, like, she's just not the kind of person that is going to openly talk about sex. Well, she, she's very private in general, like, private doesn't good, have, yeah. like, many friendships because she likes right her circle small but i also Mm -hmm. think there's like a sense of shame as well that still came from her diagnosis that's like oh well this is now like weird what i do and that's not normal so then like he won't understand this so i should just not mention it right so that was hinted at a lot where he was just like show me how you like to be touched which dudes and gentlemen and ladies is a great question to ask your sexual partner a plus. Just, and he was like being very pragmatic about it where he was like, well, if you don't show me. I'm not going to know. Mm-hmm. And I want this to be good for you. And she made the mistake of saying, well, it's fine. It's never good for me. Yeah. And he interpreted it as, oh, fuck. She's just like pity. This is pity sex and she just wants mm. it to be over. So then he <laughs> gets upset and then it. Oh. Yeah, when really all she's saying is that, like, no one has ever prioritized her in sex before or pleasure or her. Or in anything. Yeah. Ah, baby. No. Um, but they quickly so resolve as quickly, that. But as quickly as that tension builds up, Helen Huang just knows how to pull the rug right out from under mm-hmm. you. Because I was like, wait a second. What? <laughs> what just happened? One page and it's like a 180 situation, like... So he does he end up leaving or do they like talk through it? I honestly can't remember. I just remember the sexing didn't happen and I was very disoriented. Yeah. But I think I think they did talk through it. Yeah. Ugh. I never like remember them leaving things on a bad note until that third act conflict. Right. I will say they are supremely good at communication mm-hmm. but that is much of it is due to kwan's un- patience and yep. uh unwillingness to be mad at her yes like he never like takes any frustrations out on her and is like mm-hmm. so understanding that sometimes i was like really this is yeah this <laughs> is too much, female too fantasy yeah which i mean like hell yeah it is if i'm going to read about love interests i do want them to be a fantasy thank you very much and quantum correct 
mean, like I said, after that, he's talking to Michael, his best friend. Michael's like, sounds like you like this person. Sounds like you like this person, Quan. And Quan's like, no. Am I? I'm not. Am I? It's like feelings. No, no, no. Uh Uh-uh. Michael just tells him he's dumb. And it was necessary. But like, and, you know, it was over in like two seconds where he was like, oh, Mm -hmm. he's right. And then he takes her on this really nice date and was just like, hey, will you be my girlfriend? And she said yes. So cute. Yeah, and they're dating. And I was just like, you know, Helen, it should be this easy. Should be. But now I'm scared because this isn't even the end of the first act. No. So, like, like, what is the central conflict? Yeah. And, like, the only little, like, dangling piece of of that, like, romance plot is that she hasn't actually broken up with Julian. Like... Her and Julian aren't talking, but Correct. they never essentially broke up because they're both exploring an open, open relationship. relationship. Um, so she never texts him and is like, hey, I met someone else. This isn't working for me. Have your fun. Yes. Bye. And even though at this point she has said emotionally she's done mm-hmm. with Julian, like in in her internal life, she's just like, yes, yep. I'm breaking up with him. This is it. But she's very slow to act on any of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, sh- oh, wait. Are you saying a- Anna instead of Anna? Anna, Anna. I just. Do we know which one's correct? I have no idea. I think it's Anna because it's two N's. Well, but I'm a silly. <laughs> a silly goose. Um, <laughs> repeat what you said. My mind is everywhere. Yeah, I said internally, she makes up her mind about a lot of things as if she just has the space and the time to herself to, like, sort through her emotions. Because mm-hmm. we see that happen with Julian. We see it happen with her family where she, like, can process the information and it's just, like, and comes to a conclusion, a definitive conclusion about it right away. Right. And she's like, I know what I want, but she won't But she just won't steps. act on it. No. Ugh. So it's very frustrating when she clearly knows. She's not in self-denial. She's just like, oh, Julian's an asshole, and I no longer have any feelings for him. I want to be with Quan. Mm-hmm. And I was like, good. So, so do, do it. it. Do it. So, so do it. Tax Julian. She, say you don't doesn't. like him. <laughs> two plus two is four. But no. And it all comes back from, like, I can't do this because my family would get upset. Mm-hmm. And I just want to reach into the page and be like, let them be upset. Yeah. Hothead. Let them be like, do it, do it, Anna. <laughs> Make people upset. It doesn't matter if they love you, they'll fucking like get over it. And that is the fear is like she doesn't know that because mm-hmm. she thinks everything is conditional, and that is intensely sad for me to read. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into the actual plot, I guess. Yeah, to the actual main conflict. Yeah, which is that her father experiences a large stroke that is debilitating. Yeah. And it's a rough one. And so he essentially loses all functions. Mm -hmm. Paralyzed from the neck down, correct? He's paralyzed. He can't speak. He can't really do anything for himself. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have... um, Oh, I'm losing the word for it, but he doesn't have his like. He doesn't have a. It's not a will and testament. Um. Oh, 
Oh. They're just unsure what his wishes would yes. be in this situation. Yes. He didn't, like, write down, like, if I get hurt in this way, if I'm severely injured, this is what you should do. Um, so they keep him on, like, not life support, but... It basically, basically is, is life support. Yeah, so then the power of attorney falls to fucking Priscilla, and she... And I understand this desire. Just because she's a villain does not mean that all of her wishes come from a, an evil place. So I understand where she's just like, no, dad's going to get better. We just mm-hmm. have to do everything in our power to make sure that he does, mm-hmm. even if it's awful for him. Right. And, like, she believes her dad is, like, still there. And not to say that, like, people who are disabled or nonverbal, like, aren't there. But right. this is from, like, a family who doesn't know how to, like, do effective caretaking and make it sustainable. And they also can't communicate with him. So there's no way of knowing what he wants. Yeah. And it just makes everything this is, so difficult. And it was made very clear in the book that this is a medical situation that is not recoverable. Like, mm-hmm. it's not going like, to, there's no end in sight where he's going to wake up one day and right. be able to regain all of his functions. Mm-hmm. So to sign on would mean to, like, support him until they're like rest permanently this way yeah and that's fine that is what the person wants but like they don't know mm-hmm. and in order to do so properly and it's made very clear you need some sort of professional help oh yeah but for some reason her or priscilla is just like no we're his family yeah we're gonna do it and there is like commendable strength in that if everyone in the family is like okay with it and that's what they want to do because it's like all about communicating with your family that like okay this is what we're doing and we're going to like recenter our lives around our injured family member um, Mm -hmm. because we all like want to and we can see ourselves doing it long term but Priscilla doesn't give anyone the space of like I can't see myself doing this I need someone else to like be coming in and helping so that I could still like effectively be here. It's just like, nope, you have to work eight hour shifts. And even on your like shifts off of caretaking, you're it's still in the house helping everyone. So it's essentially right. like 24 seven care. That you're not trained for. Right. Because nursing and nursing assistants, hard fucking jobs mm-hmm. with a lot of necessary training, both like for the skills that you need to tube feed somebody, to change them, right. to bathe them, but also just like the mental fortitude that you really need to want to do something in order to get yeah. through that. And it doesn't say anything about you if you can't. Right. Like, it doesn't say anything because Anna has this like internalized thing of like, oh, I'm having a hard time with this, which means I'm a terrible mm. person. Right. And obviously not. Like, I have been there with like my mom has had like several surgeries that have like made her like bedridden for at least a week and then for like the next rest of the month like very slowly getting up and like doing exercises and stuff and essentially like it was while my sister was in college so it's like no shame on her for like not physically being there because she couldn't but it was me and my dad doing it and that's like horrible because you Mm -hmm. when you start to feel like ill will to a person who is injured and you know that like Mm -hmm. you're the only one who can help them 
it's mm-hmm. there's a specific shame of like because I'm thinking bad thoughts this makes me a bad person which isn't true it's just you're not equipped to do it yeah and right like it's definitely like a skill set and like a training that has to be done to like be on and be nice and like yeah super lovely to someone even if they're like pissing you off essentially right yeah and Anna realizes fairly quickly that this is something her dad doesn't want because he um, manages to like muster enough strength to she is alone in the room with him trying to tube feed him and Mm. he like grabs her wrist and manages to mutter the word like stop right and then she looks at him and she it clicks in her brain right away that is like he doesn't mean just stop doing it in, in this moment he just means like stop I want to go and again same pattern of she comes to this definitive conclusion but just is willing like the the idea of refuting her sister mm-hmm. is just so insurmountable to her that she literally said I'm sorry dad and just does, does it, it anyways which is so dark for me to think about yeah. it's like taking away like the dignity of the father in that moment like what little agency and dignity he has left in his impairment and she knows she knows it too and she's so torn up about it um i was surprised that she didn't like go to her mom at least because her mom seemed to be like much more understanding than priscilla that if she was just like look dad did this i'm like what do you think it means i think it means this and i think maybe then that like that having that like backing up her going to priscilla would have not as been as much of a shit show because she tells priscilla and priscilla's like what you want to kill dad you want to be the one to murder your father murder our father oh my god yes so then of course all of this is taking a huge mental toll for her Mm -hmm. she's masking 24 7 yeah so we see it manifest in like she is barely sleeping she has night terrors she wakes Mm -hmm. up sobbing Mm -hmm. and so kwan is trying to be a good boyfriend and be there to for her yeah and he shows up to their house because their mom has cooked this family like a huge assortment of food and i love this moment because it's just so like specific it's like it's not a recurring thing. It's just like a short moment, but I really appreciate it because it's very true to life where Anna's family is Chinese and very, very uh, wealthy. We're talking like marble flooring. Yeah. What the fuck? Vaulted ceiling, like mansion in the hills, mm-hmm. sort of rich. So Quan comes over and like, I, and this is where the pronunciation things comes up because his mom's like Quan like trying to figure out his ethnicity mm-hmm. so when he says i'm vietnamese and she gets this look on her face and i was just like ah uh, the inner asian beef and i don't know how this happened i'm not a historian yeah. i just see it in my life where it's like there is something uh, like the older generation and my mom especially there's mm. just some serious beef between vietnamese and chinese people it seems yeah. i don't understand but I just appreciated it because I was just like, okay, yeah, this is very real. And it reminded me of um, the comedian Ali Wong. Yeah, Ali Wong. 
her she made this joke where she was like yeah i'm half chinese and half vietnamese so i'm half fancy asian and half jungle asian and like vietnamese is the jungle asian mm-hmm. part and i was like yeah is that right. like how and it's then, like that's like this like the stereotype or like the yeah okay yes because like uh, sorry to mom I'm just going to expose her on the internet. (laughs) But she'll say things like, you know how Chinese people are. And I'm like, do I? I don't. Mm. Like, what? And she's like, oh, they're just, like, stuck up. And, like, they have money, so they think they're better than us. Mm. And I was like, um, alrighty. Okay. (laughs) Okay, then. (laughs) Thanks. Like, I I don't know. I grew up mainly in the United States, so whatever beef it is, it's just outside my experience. But, like, I, I definitely see it. So then Quan has an additional chip on his shoulder of having to impress this family. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going well either because, like, Priscilla's just a bitch 24-7 to everyone. And her mom and, like, Anna is just... Or Anna's mom just seems, like, also very protective. Like, this is my family, no outsider situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. but he d- and they all have their hearts set on Julian because he's a Harvard graduate yeah. with an MBA. No, he Blech. sucks fucking ass. And he um, sucks ass. But the mom did warm up a little bit because the food was so good. Or at least, like, Priscilla yeah. says thank you. It's something like that. But right. there's a... But they don't take him seriously. No. And there's, like, a strong sense of, like, oh, this is just a fling. He's mm-hmm. uh, he's unimportant. And you're going to have your fun with him and be done. Yep. So, of course, this takes a mild strain on their relationship. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of time to, like, go have fun with each other when one is severely depressed and the other is just like, I just want to be here for you. But to be there for you is, means to, like, be away from you. And it's just yeah, chaos. Um, and then it comes to a head when we're going to jump forward. But yes, it's just chapters and chapters of, like, her father not doing well and Anna falling deeper into a depression. Yeah. She gets one weekend off. Mm-hmm. And so they get some quality time. They have sex for the first time, which was great. But they did it in the dark. Yes. And she, she still did an orgasm or like came very close, but not almost because she still won't show him what well, she needs because she thinks it's so weird. I think she did orgasm, but that like he couldn't do it too hard she she was he like guided her hand down to like masturbate while they were having sex so that she could orgasm um so i enjoyed i enjoyed that scene like that was a very cute reprieve that we very much needed and i think helen Hwan knew that yes she hit it right on the money with that one um no their sex scenes were super hot said it was like best sex of her life for anna which is Amazing, yes, babe. But given how given how low the bar is, I'm like, mm. yeah. How much does this really say? Yeah, but it seems very good. Um, yeah, there's only like one explicit sex scene, and then they like mention like, mm-hmm. then we kept having sex the rest of the weekend, and sh- then she went back right. essentially. Yeah, so that it that one I didn't. So it volleyed it up to make the like the culmination of the breakup even more devastating Mm -hmm. because this was the moment where they both like really fall for each other yeah and like when does he tell her he loves i love you he tells her i think in that weekend yeah 
He tells her he loves her, and she's like, I don't think I'm there yet. And he's like, Right. That means That's, that you you'll be there will eventually, be there. simp. Yeah. Love it. And she I love it. And like in her inner monologue, she's like, I might already be there. But she just doesn't want to like admit it. More of the same. <laughs> yeah. Everything comes to a head when it's their dad's birthday and Priscilla thinks it's a great idea to throw a fucking birthday party. You just even mentioning this is like making my stomach clench. Like, I have an upset tummy just thinking about this. (laughs) This was the moment in the book where we both had to close it Mm -hmm. and walk away. Like, I think it was, I would have like, I don't know. I don't injured myself in some way just from sheer rage. Yeah. If I had kept reading. I was like, you know how we talk about on this podcast, like when something hurts so good, it like makes your heart clench. Yeah. It was like, this hurts this bad so one. bad that my heart is clenching. Like, not great at all. And it's making me feel way too deeply. Deep, deeply enraged yeah that's my response and I like I was reading this again I was at a clinical so professional setting oh so I just like looked up when I closed the book and I just had this moment where I was like I'm sitting in this room there's like two other people here who thinks everything is fine and I'm just deeply enraged over something that's not actually (laughs) happening and everything is not fine yeah I was reading this at like um I like wow I just could not even speak words right there I got home from work I worked until like 8 p.m so I got home at 9 because my commute is fucking hell and I immediately started like reading the book because I was like I need to finish this in time and I got to that scene and I was like I want to keep reading because I'm so close to the end I'm like 30 pages from the end Mm -hmm. and it was like 11 at that point so I knew I could do it and then I was I just can't I was like if I read this I'm not going to be able to sleep. I'm going to get, like, so frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to have to, like, sit here in, like, anger and mm-hmm. wait until I calm down. So I was like, okay, got to gotta let myself gotta, read the 30 pages the next day because it was just yeah. way too much. Seriously. So, you know, parties are already hard for Anna. 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 Um It's loud. She goes into sensory overload really easily, but like and in childhood she used to like you know kick and scream and throw a tantrum because it's intensely uncomfortable for her but in adulthood she realizes that that is unacceptable quote unquote and you know just grins and bears it but when your nerves are already frayed from having to caretake and the knowing within your heart that the caretaking is actively hurting the person you're caretaking for you're already operating on like 20 percent battery life if that and this just like this just makes it worse. Yeah. And before it was like noted from her therapist who I should say like Anna is not seeing during this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and like her therapist has reached out and was like, I'm worried for you. Like you're going Please to get into this. reach out. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a good therapist. Um, I know. And the therapist was also like, you're going to you burn out doing this. You're going to have autistic burnout, which is essentially like when everything shuts down and it's like you don't even comprehend what's happening and she's so close and this is like the breaking point during all this time she hasn't been playing her violin she's already you know in that rut and she thinks she can't do it anymore she's disconnected from her music and fucking priscilla 
and this isn't a in a gesture this is not a gesture of we're so proud of you show everyone your talent to show them mm-hmm. how talented and amazing you are because we because we love you this is a you're good at one thing you're known for one thing so do it so other people can praise the family mm-hmm. show pony kind of thing yeah it was like you're fucking up and everything else and you're a shitty caretaker and you're super lazy and you suck but you're adequate at this one thing so here go play yeah so she forces her to play their dad's favorite piece in front of the whole family and and i was like uh i can't say no but i know i can't do it because i'm just gonna reap like just restart it over and over again unless i get it perfect and i haven't been practicing so i know it's not gonna be perfect yeah and and so she even, the solution? Well, no, she thinks about breaking her hands first. Her, her hands! I was like, holy shit. She's like, I can't just break a leg because it'll still make me play. I could break my hands, but if they don't like heal, heal correctly, correctly, I couldn't play. And in the back of my mind, I still know this is important to me, even if I extremely dislike yeah. it in the moment. And I was like, when you're act- actively considering self-harm... And it's like it's extreme. When the, it's when you need to like take a look at what is happening but of course when you're in the middle of it you can't you don't have no. that perspective so she can't it's break like her hands one Grey's Anatomy episode oh, go for it. sorry <laughs> oh it's just like that one Grey's Anatomy episode where this lady like burned both of her hands so she wouldn't have to take her bar exam and Katherine Heigl was like I think she's doing it on purpose oh I don't remember and the, that and the end of a, the episode they like you know make her go to psych Mm. and then we don't see her again of course not (laughs) so anyways she can't break her hands so what does she break her violin down the stairs god it was so painful it was so horrible to read like because she loves this instrument it's the it is her baby her favorite instrument it's like yeah it's her baby it's like means everything to her. It's the one thing that has like been able to bring her joy. And sure, it hasn't in the past year, but it's like something she deeply cares for. And as someone who like played clarinet for seven years and was like never actually good, I and has not touched my instrument since I was 17. I'm 22 now. I still know where it is and I would never fucking break it. Like just having like the respect of like the craftsmanship of it. And, like, knowing it's a good instrument, like, hell no, I'm not going to hurt it. But the fact that, like, she has that deep, deep love and respect and it feels like she has no other option, she just, oh, my God. Oh God. Oh my it was, God. like, oh, def con level. And it's just the writing was so visceral where it's just, like, she... I Um, remember the phrase like I grabbed it by the neck mm -hmm. and like watched it sail through the air and I'm like oh as she did it she regretted it and then she was like it's like I'm reading a murder scene I know and then she's like hysterically sobbing and trying to like pick up all the pieces and and like put it back together holy shit because she's realizing she was clearly not thinking rationally she was not clearly rationally because no. she was thinking like, oh, it breaks, but I can always fix it later and it's fine. But she sailed it so hard down the stairs that it splinters into like a Mil- million unsalvageable pieces. Yeah, it's not fixable at all. And it's like a good metaphor 
where she's realizing that this just like something is so broken that can never be healed. Similarly to her dad's situation, she's having a breakdown. Fucking Priscilla comes in and it's just like, ah, oh, fuck you. You're such a dumb, clumsy idiot. Yeah. Me like and her sister is sobbing. Yeah. Like already distressed and she's just gonna dogpile on. And this comes up a lot in the book where she's like, No, they love me, but it's tough love. They're doing it because mm. it's gonna hurt less coming when other people say it to me. Fucking and that is bullshit. also that's also a thing that comes up a lot in Asian families, especially mine. But the thing is, society isn't this, like, amorphous thing that will hurt you. It's just, like, we are all a part of it. We all make up it. Yeah. So if society is cruel, it's because you are cruel. Mm-hmm. So, like, you don't have to be. If you are nice, then, like, therefore, yeah. like... And the, don't just do it in case somebody else right. is mean later. Like, what kind of reasoning is that, that? It's like you're just hurting someone, like, and saying it's love. And it's horrible. Yeah, so Priscilla's just fucking jumps down her throat. Oh, my God. I'm like, your sister is literally having, like, an episode right now. Like, it's not even that she's sobbing. She, like just broke her like one true possession and is hysterical and the response is like you're so fucking dumb pull it together yeah don't make this about yourself let's get my old fucking violin that's still in this house and you're still gonna play yes so and then the thing is she's like and you know what like don't cry mom and i've already or is a surprise we're gonna buy you a new violin nope so this really reminded me of the situation with my friend mm. and i won't say her name because like i haven't cleared this with her <laughs> yeah but she got into a really bar- bad car accident and she's also asian she got into this bad car accident her car is like f- salvageable but like it would have been more expensive to fix it mm. than to keep it However, instead of discussing with her, her dad just went ahead and got her this brand new BMW. Oh, God. So the thing is, like, on the service, buying somebody a really expensive violin, buying your daughter a very expensive car, no one would look at it and be like, oh, what a horrible person you are right. for doing that. And my friend was just like, yeah, and I, like, feel very bad about getting upset over this mm-hmm. because, wham, I'm crying about getting a new BMW. But the thing is, he just sent my old car away and I never got to like say goodbye to it. Right. And she's similarly like is attached mm. to impermanent, like she's attached to objects because she like, lacks that kind of emotional mm-hmm. support <laughs> from her parents. Uh, I get it. <laughs> I too am in- attached to a lot of um, non living things. Yeah. Exactly. So she was like, and I don't know, like, when I explained it to him, she just refuses to understand why what he did was so bad and just called me ungrateful. It's like, I'm grateful, but I'm feeling a profound sense of loss right now. And you also didn't, like, you said you're doing it for me, but you didn't actually consider my actual wants and needs. Mm. And that, uh, yeah. Yeah, so my mom, I've had that conversation with my mom, too, where she's like, I do all of these things for you, blah, 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 blah. I was like, I never asked you yeah. to do 
any of that. Yeah, no, uh, I was in a very similar situation literally just last week where I was traveling to Boston and I was meeting my parents up there for a funeral. And my dad was like, well, you're going to like get a ride from this person who I've never met before. Um, And it's just like a family friend of a family member I haven't talked to since I was like 13. Um, And I was like, no, (laughs) I was like, please just let me do it the way Figure it out. I want mm-hmm. to so I feel comfortable and he just like absolutely refused and then my parents put their foot down and it was like a whole thing where like I couldn't say like articulate it I was like I know I'm upset and I don't know why and I didn't figure it out until like the day of um yeah and then there's like nothing you can do about it because like right you've already made right. the plans and it's already yep. set in stone Right. So, and on the surface, it always seems so silly. Yeah, it's like, like why are you being ungrateful about me setting this up so you can be with someone safe? And if they're manipulative, they'll use it. They'll spin it that way too. But the thing is, like, I feel like this isn't unique, especially to people in their twenties who have like just tasted what living on our own is like. Mm And then having to come back and then your parents have been your parents for 20 plus years. So they're used to just making decisions for you. And they are always shocked when you're like, hey, I want autonomy. Right. It's like I'm living in fucking New York City. This is like my first like true feeling of being away from home because I lived 40 minutes away when I lived in college. And then I was like, damn, and they're still like reeling me in from like states Mm -hmm. away. Mm hmm. So I get it from both sides, Mm -hmm. but it didn't make it any easier to read. No. Especially because Priscilla is so unwilling to, like, see it from anyone else's perspective. Right. Like, at least my dad will apologize, even if he doesn't understand what he's apologizing for. I'll just be like, okay, I'm sorry. And, And literally, that's all Anna wanted. Yeah. Anna's just like, can you apologize? Later, she's like, can you just apologize for how you talk to me? Is like, yeah, and no she was like, way. you suck. Just because, yeah, she literally was like, you're younger, so that means I can't do anything wrong to you. Mm, no. No, you do a lot of things wrong, and it's all in this book. So in that moment, she finally just snaps, and she's like, mm, no, I'm not going to play. Yep. And, uh, it's good. It was, yeah. So Priscilla flips her shit. She's like, what do you mean you're not going to play? You're being such a spoiled brat right now. And then the whole family comes rushing in because, like, Mm -hmm. what else would make this situation worse? Yeah. God. And what else happens? I know she says no. Shit. But. Oh. No, before that, too. Uh Fucking Julian cornered her. Yeah. So she's already. so bad. Anna already has a hard time, like, inferring what people mean unless they're, like, explicit about it. Mm -hmm. And Julian just, like, hinted at being married without actually saying that he wants to marry her. And she is just tired and masking, so she doesn't want to have this conversation anymore. She's just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. Like, she literally doesn't even know, like, she forgets what he even said. And then she, like, snaps back and she's like oh, I'm supposed to say something and I don't know what the correct response is, so I'm just going to say right. yes. 
and she basically dissociates because and then he, he like kisses her while this is happening she's letting it happen it was awful to read mm-hmm. and i felt like i was tr- i felt like i was a ghost standing in the room yeah. just like screaming being like no 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 and the but the both people in the room just like doesn't know that i'm there yeah. and that's what that was what it was like reading it's like this. you're watching a horror movie and you're like stop stop it no i know what's gonna happen and as i was reading this i was like oh no don't tell me because Quan is on his way to see Anna because he's he's worried about her. He doesn't even realize the party is happening. Um, and he's like, there's a party. And then he's like, oh, shit. It's like a party at their house. And he's like a little sad that Anna didn't invite him. But he's understanding. And then he like comes in and Anna's cousin, Faith, is actually nice to him. The one person who's right. nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he walks in right as Julian takes Anna's hand and like kisses her like on the cheek or something and says that they're going to get married. Oh, and then Anna sees him and like runs after him and they like break up. Yep. And I thought it was very commendable that Quan did that very elusive thing that we all have a hard time doing. It was just he stood up for himself, but he wasn't cruel about it. Yes. Because he was like, look, you're jerking me around. You said that you're my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And now this random guy that you said you're over announced to your entire family that you're going to get married. Yeah. So I am well within my right to be mad about this. Yeah. And I don't want to keep dating you anymore. And he doesn't even and like she- say anything like mean to her. He's just like, why are you doing this? Like, why can't you stand up yeah. for me? Why can't you speak up for me? Like he asks, are you only, can you only be with me in the dark? Are you ashamed of me? <laughs> And it gets back to like he's his... insecure about that. Yeah. And so she tells him no. And like it goes just back to like, why can't you support me? And she's thinking, but she doesn't say it out loud, like, how can I support you when I can't even speak up for myself? Like I'm not she's not even but there d- yet. But he doesn't Yeah, and he doesn't know that. He doesn't know that. So he's just like, I can't do it when you're I can't be in this relationship when you're actively <sighs> breaking my heart. Oh, what a line. What a line. And you know what? He literally, I remember him. I remember this line because I was like, man, if only all of us had such good control of ourselves when we're in distress. Mm-hmm. Because he literally was just like, look, stop talking to me right now because I don't want to say anything to you yes. that is going to hurt you. Yeah. He said, I really can't do this right now. I'm not thinking straight. I don't want to say things. I don't want to hurt you and wow oh man imagine the world we're in if we all had that capacity no because like my least favorite part of myself is when i'm really angry and my brain is like oh you should say this because it's going to get right in and it's gonna make them feel so shitty but in turn like as i'm saying it i feel so repentive like already i feel so shitty about myself and kwan knows not to do that and that's called being an adult. That's called being very mature. Very adult. mature. The Aries in me could never. <laughs> I don't know what a cancer means. It's like cancers are like loyal and sweet. I don't know. I don't know. Really. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I haven't done that in a bit, which good for me. But I know 
I could still do it. And Quan has the self control. I mean, if your significant other <laughs> did that to you, yeah, I probably would be. Uh, no one would blame you. Yeah, and instead, so, and that's he's so the good. thing. He's so good. Mm. And so, directly following that scene where they break up, like the next was the page thing with the is the thing with the violin, where Priscilla asks, um, "I think it is no, it's Faith." Because, of course, Faith is the only one who cares about Hannah's well-being in this, besides Quan and sometimes her mom. Um, so Faith says, you look so sad, Anna. Did something happen? And Anna doesn't have the energy to actually answer her question. So she just says, getting my violin. And that's when she throws it down the fucking stairs. It's just, oh, it's so bad. Yeah, so she snaps and just is like, nope. And she says, this is the first time in her life, probably, since she was like a toddler throwing tantrums. This is the first time that she says no to an authority figure or any sort of anyone ever. Yep, which, thank goodness. And during all of this, the B plot is that um, Quan has a clothing company called MLA. Right. <laughs> Right. With, he does things with Michael. <laughs> like Juan has his own life. Imagine that. Um, that was going to be acquired by Louis Vuitton. Yes. And there's like this asshole guy and they're in like the final stages, like sending in like the uh the contract. Contract, thank you very much. But it's essentially like told in the meeting. Quan, you're not good enough to continue being the CEO of your clothing company. So what we're going to do is like put you in as essentially like a freelancer and we might listen to you sometimes. Um, so Quan is dealing with that and the breakup and he essentially just closes himself off. Right. So there was like hints of racism in that tone because it mm -hmm. wasn't like you and Michael aren't equipped to be co-CEO. It's just you. We're going to keep Michael. I'm pretty and, sure Michael's Asian too, but oh, from okay, my because his name was Michael Larson, so I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I I don't quite remember all of the kiss quotient, but I think Michael is Asian as well. Okay, but it's maybe because like Michael like dresses himself well, so there's right. probably some like classism happening there. Yeah, too. Well, and like we said, Quan is heavily tattooed, mm -hmm. so it's just like the stereotype is that he wouldn't he would be like not great at business i guess right it's like the you know like the older generation who still think tattoos are like only belonging to gangster like gang members i and know drug like dealers my dad being like don't ever get a tattoo while he has a tattoo and told me the other day that he's thinking about getting another one and i'm like father you know what's cute is that you guys go together no I know that was not happen. Uh-uh. I think if I got a tattoo, I would, like, literally hide it until, like, it just yep. happened. And then they're like, you got a tattoo? And I'd be like, yep. Yep. What are sure you going to do about it? I'm several states away. Mm-hmm. So they break up. And what happens with Anna? She just immediately goes home. And then shuts off. Yeah. She just sleeps for, like, 20 hours during the day and is in this like zombie like existence yeah and there's she says like the following days go by in a strange blur i feel like i'm asleep away i feel like i sleep away most of my time and it's not good sleep that leaves me feeling rejuvenated and well rested 
well rested. And all she knows is that she misses Quan. So she is able to fix one thing and, and she's like not allowed back at her house after saying that she doesn't want to be like taking care of her dad and she thinks it's wrong. She's essentially right. like get the fuck Ostracized. out. Ostracized. Yeah. yeah. Because Priscilla's like, you want dad to die. You don't want to take care of him because you're a bad person. It's like, no, no. Um, And so she goes to Quan's apartment and Michael lets her in because he sees her. Mm-hmm. And they have a really great conversation that's also a little strange, methinks. Do you think? Well, so... I thought it was strange, but sorry, we keep, sorry, listeners, we keep jumping back and forth because this is so, I don't know. I just, I I have a hard time thinking about the plot of this book linearly. Me too. But during the time where Anna is like in this catatonic state at her apartment, recovering from the month's worth of masking that she was doing, Mm -hmm. Quan went to the Grand Canyon Oh, God, I forgot about that. And I was the one to mention it. <laughs> I know. And it was just like, well, I can't. So this reminded me a lot of my boyfriend because Quan mm-hmm. was like, I can't do anything right. I'm going to at least do this one thing right. to feel a sense of accomplishment. So he was just like, I'm going to make this Grand Canyon run and set this record for the fastest person who's ever run yeah. the ran, ran the <laughs> Grand Canyon or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's called the R2R run, rim okay. to rim, 50 miles. Um, and this entire time, Quan's a big runner, but he's had like a little terrible, bit of pain in his terrible, knee. Dirty, pa- terrible, dirty name, but I digress. <laughs> the rim to rim, really? Rim to rim. Yeah. So he like is kind of in over his head, but because like he's feeling like he can't control anything or do anything right with the acquisition with Louis Vuitton and his relationship with Stella. He doesn't tell anyone what Stella? he's doing. Not Stella. Anna. Ah. Uh, but yes, he doesn't tell anyone. He just buys play tickets and goes. Yeah. With no training. At no prep. Canyon. Yeah. This man hasn't run like a marathon, I don't think. He just like runs... Yeah, a he's active, every day, but it's not but like you can just do that. He's he's not a full-on 50-mile runner. And he's like, he, oh, God, it was really strange. It was strange. It was just like a man and nature kind of like spiritual experience that yeah. I don't understand and continue <laughs> to not understand. And I said this reminds me of my boyfriend because he's literally planning on doing the a- entirety of the Appalachian Trail in 2023. Oh, I forgot and about that one. similarly, he said, well, I haven't accomplished much in my life and I just want to do this so that I can say I've completed something. And it's something that's difficult and not everyone is able to do and I want to be able to say that I did it and I was like okay honey okay yeah so Quan's not doing too hot he doesn't get enough water because and he doesn't realize there's he did not plan so he is like conserving his water and there's no more water refill stations and he's like only halfway through and he's like no, but I need to break the record. He's still like hung up on breaking the record and not just like finishing. Okay. Um, so he's not doing too hot. He's in like the 30 mile part and his like quad cramps and he almost trips and then he's out of water and he tries to like 
chew down something for protein, but then gags because it's too dry. And then the fucking rain starts pouring. Just bad choices after bad choices. Yeah. And so he still is like, no, I need to break the record. I've been wasting time. And so he's trying to run in the rain. His knee is hurting. He slips and he falls and he's just like breaks down and yeah. like has a come to Jesus moment. Right. Um, Again, a very man in nature, cathartic, spiritual yeah. thing that they also try to do with Jackson Avery on Grey's Anatomy. And I continue to not understand it. No, they tried like multiple times and it never fucking worked. It was like, <laughs> why would this man like nature? <laughs> we have not been told. We're clearly um, city girls if you guys haven't picked up on that <laughs> um so it's like very like he's now been one he's with laying, nature he yeah, finds he's laying in the dirt he's looking up at the sky there's yeah. rain pouring down it's very he's cinematic crying. he's um, crying then he's like he, he literally gets up, up and he's like now i'm fine he musters up energy he like drinks some of the water that's been like pooling on his jacket i'm like hot i'm like what um not actually hot like, but, Helen like, why funny. did you insert this random like it's uh, only like survival pages. story into this <laughs> it's literally like four pages which is I was taking so long to find it because I was like what fucking chapter is this um so he quote finds a long stick and I use it to take the weight off my bad lag at bad leg as I hopple up this never-ending staircase to the clouds um and then he like finally accomplishes it and even though he doesn't you know break the record obviously because he is injured <laughs> he feels like he did something right and feels a sense of clarity yeah he just is immediately settled <laughs> like what like if that works for him go off good, good right. for you right i don't know i don't ever have the urge to like go out into nature like that absolutely but... no i'm like i'm good with like two hours max then i'm like okay air conditioning heating please um it actually reading this reminds me of this one girl that or we were in classes together for our women's and gender studies major at unc and she's really great but like we never were able to like have that connection to like hang out in person because we started getting in classes our junior year so then that was half of that was taken up by virtual learning because of covid and then our senior year was all virtual so it's just like felt a bit pointless to keep making new friends and try and meet them in person uh but i follow her on tiktok and she like makes running tiktoks oh gosh and, good for her good for her but like yesterday i saw a tiktok she posted being like it's my last day in chapel hill and i'm moving but i want to like make sure i run like my favorite spots or whatever she ran f 14 miles and then moved her shit. Wow. And I'm like, 14 miles? Wow. I mean, I fully believe people that endorphin high is a real thing. Like runner's high because of uh -huh. all the endorphins that gets released. I have yet to personally feel it because I'm such a weenie that the second things start to hurt, I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm, I'm not, not pushing through the wall. No. Because the endorphins only happen when you push through it. But I refuse. Yeah, absolutely not, love. It's like, um, am I going to die? No, there's nothing chasing me. I'm going to stop. Yeah, but when I get, like, the cramp in my side mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or, like, my breath starts hitching, then mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. 
this hurts. I need I'm a timeout. <laughs> I'm like, this is it. Cool. Um, so I don't know the last time I like ran, ran. Probably the mile in middle school. I had to at do least the that's mile the case for school. me. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Uh-huh. oh. That was pure torture. But I guess like the I have felt like that endorphin rush when I've been like back when I played like rec volleyball and stuff because that was like at like an hour nonstop of of like three matches, which was wonderful. But I haven't done it since because I aged out. Full disclosure, I'm gonna. I, I full disclosure, I cheated during the middle school mile run. Oh, so I cheated like, too, girl. Five laps around the thing was a mm-hmm. mile for us. So we had like popsicle sticks that we needed to like pick up to like mark how many mm-hmm. miles we've done because there's like eighty of us doing it at once, and the coaches yeah. are like not gonna keep up. So I would pick up multiple sticks at once. Yeah, because like as your right, hello, as is my right. Yes. And what are you going to do? Take away a bachelor's degree? I don't think so. Like during high school when I did it, it was like there was a lot of people who were like, I don't run. Like, why the fuck are you making me do this? Um, Because of the fucking presidential presidential fitness test. Yeah. Fuck that. Um, So like the coach told us he was like, "Okay, like run the straightaways, walk the curves. Right. right, For people who aren't runners. And so there are like some fuckers like who are like i'm in track i'm just gonna run this mile in 10 minutes or eight minutes or whatever they want to do 10 is a very bad time actually (laughs) if you're an actual runner eight minutes less like five are you sure yeah isn't like five eight thirty like a good pace for a mile well i guess when you're running a marathon it's a good pace anyways there were runners in the group who just like did it. <laughs> it's like I've never felt more out of shape in my life than me when too. I was like running a straightaway and someone passed me like twice. Um, but I cheated during that too because I was doing it with my friend Julia. Love love Julia back in the day. She was great. Haven't talked to her since I was seventeen. But she like was definitely more in shape with me, but like kept at my pace which was wonderful to not make me feel like ashamed and when we did our third he was like that's four right and we we're like he's like yeah yeah and he's like okay one more and we're like okay great perfect thanks yep yep um <sighs> all Sorry, that to dude. say we cannot imagine kwan doing a 50 mile run and feeling good in the grand fucking canyon yeah so that was a little weird bit but he did it and so he limps back injured yeah and um and so michael comes and confronts him at his apartment Mm -hmm. he's like what the hell happened he's like we're not going to do the louis vuitton deal like why do you think that would be okay like this company is both of us it's not just me um so now there's one out of two things resolved for kwan we're halfway there. Yeah. And Anna, now coming to the conclusion that she needs to properly apologize, shows up at his apartment. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was strange. Yeah. So it so, starts out normal. Yeah. It starts out normal. She's asking if he, she can come in. Um, and she, he, like, thinks about saying no, but sees, like, how desperate she is. Yeah. And, like, and sad. how sad. And he, like, obviously and still loves her. He's still a sucker. Yeah, so he lets her in, and she immediately starts apologizing. Um, 
and he's like, I know you mean what you're saying, but like, how can I trust you? Um, and so she tells him that she loves him, that she's not ashamed of him. And that like, she's just so fully in it. She says the only good thing this broken heart of mine can feel is love for you. Oh, cuties. This is all from Quan's perspective. This is a split perspective book. So this scene mm-hmm. is in Quan's POV. Mm-hmm. So you know internally that he's like, I get it and I feel bad and I appreciate that she's apologizing, but I cannot do this. I don't want to fall back into this pattern. Yeah. Which makes what happens next very weird for me. Yeah. So essentially, like, he's like, I had no idea you were feeling like so bad like and you were so depressed um and they talk about her dad for a little bit and then he says that like he still doesn't know if he can trust her and she says i can't make you trust me but i can show you how much i trust you oh god and then she just goes nakey so fast she i think he said like she reaches and like pulls her dress up over Uh her head and is naked and i was like what yeah and they've not never seen each other naked they've always been in the dark so yeah she pulls her dress above her head uncosses her bra and pushes down her underwear like all boom right right then and there i just (laughs) and then she just I'm like, how are you so brazen all of a sudden? Like, this is like, that's what struck me. I was like, the fact that she is like so confident in doing this. I mean, it's like a very, very moving if you want to think about it in terms of vulnerability, right. but it yes. seems a bit out of character. Yeah. Um. So she walks to his bedroom and then masturbates in front of him to show him what she likes, which was like, because that was what he was asking of her this whole time. Yeah. Like and she does make point. the point to us that it was like, yes, even though this is something she he asked of her, she's finally doing it because she wants to, mm-hmm. which is a big thing from, you know, her doing everything because other people want her to. Right. But still, odd gesture. Yeah. He like stops her and he's like, you don't need to do this. And she says, I want to. Um, and then he does. Or then she does. And this whole entire time I was like, what? Wait. So now they're just going to have sex? (laughs) Yeah, right. So in context, we understand why this is such a big deal and why it's, like, you know, emotionally significant. Mm -hmm. But out of context, it seems coercive. Yeah. And, like, trying to explain this part and, like, why it works to someone is very difficult. Yeah. They were having a, a really heavy discussion. They weren't seeing eye to eye. And, then, and like, she strips naked. Works. And she strips naked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she's still masturbating and she just says, um, he's like, what else do you need? And she's like, I need you to touch me and kiss me. And he hesitates a bit too long. So she gets up and then he kisses her and they do the deed. I can't imagine this uh, sort of like emotional turbulence and then still being in the mood i know like you see the the woman you're in love with after you've like basically injured yourself at the grand canyon and like you had this whole down-to-earth talk with your best friend like moments before right 
And now she's there. Yep. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Right. And so they is- finally have sex in the in the sense that like they both see fully each other naked, mm-hmm. and that's a big deal for the both of them. And they're all loved up for the weekend. But this is how you know that the book's plot is not about Quan and Anna because right because that's resolves- not the end of it. This resolves like 20 pages, 30 pages from the mm-hmm. end. Um, and it's still, it's that's the end of part two. And the, and we still have a part three left. But before we talk about part three, should we really quickly talk about, or should we move into the segment, do they call a clit a clit? Do they? Yes. <laughs> they do. Yeah. End of segment. <laughs> When do they say that? So the thing that she thought was so strange that she needed Mm -hmm. was that she needs her clit touched in a certain pattern. It's not just like random. She does like clockwise a certain amount of time and counterclockwise a certain amount of time. And they actually says the word clit. And she was like, I know it's weird. And Kwan's like, no, that's fine. He's like, I I thought that. that. I thought that was a wee bit underwhelming, but like I understand why it would be such a big deal for her. Yeah, because it's but so vulnerable. similarly, similarly to Quan, I was like, oh, eh, it's yeah, fine. It's I will like- say that like when I got to the first like hookup scene and she like couldn't say what it was, I just fully skimmed through until I got to that point because I was like, ah. I just want to know what it is. Um, nah. So like in knowing what it was, I was like, okay, whatever. Um, it probably says something about how, the amount of obscenity that we read. Where I was just like, it can be as weird as like, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, not to I kink s- shame. Yeah. But there's some shit out there. I mean, we read like Ice Planet Barbarians for this podcast and nothing is as And we were, f- and not only that. did we read it, we were fully endorsing mm-hmm. the tail being involved. Yes. We wanted tail sex. And we we were endorsing tail sex. We were like talking about whether or not she would like masturbate on his horns. Like- so this is strange. <laughs> I don't think all I- that to say is yeah. Anna is not a sexual deviant. No, like that is we just are- normal. It is normal to like know what you like and then want that reciprocated during sex with a partner. Yeah, and having a specific pattern that you need to follow for your clit to be touched, like that's again, yeah, girly pop. It's fine. It's fine. So- Move on. But anyway, she opens up to him and they have sex. He's able to make her orgasm without the help of her, which I guess does something for his masculinity. Oh, yeah. And they're all happy and dandy. And then like, dun, dun, dun. At the very end of part two, her father passes away. Yep. Yeah. And then part three is only 30 pages. Thank God. Thank goodness. Half of it is um, is Anna being super depressed and mm-hmm. shutting down and so this is where not knowing what per- anything happens. This is where this gets particularly dark because she's at peak autistic burnout and depression and grief. Mm-hmm. So there was a very brief two-sentence mention of her being like, I can't see how I'll ever be freed of this except for one way. And then it's just like hints yeah. at her committing suicide or at least having suicidal ideation thoughts, yeah her ideation and i was like whoa 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 
Yeah. And eventually, like, it, I think this part, like, is still so effective, even though it's so short, because, like, it feels, like, disconnected almost, like, in the way that when someone is, like, really going through it, like, seems disconnected from their own life and, like, very, like, up puppet and so things are told to us and not shown instead uh which i think in in this part is well done uh so kwan moves in with her and um she like tries to practice violin and she gets into the same rut and then is even worse off uh but thankfully kwan is really supportive and anna like tells him what's going on and they're able to like talk through it so at least she still has that support system i did have mixed feelings i think again on the surface level without context like having your significant other move in with you while you're in a depressive state and making such Mm -hmm. a permanent life change is usually not recommended Not recommended yeah it's like what if you like finally like get out of this and then you're like my life is so different yeah, and then on Quan's hand now, he suddenly is a caretaker mm-hmm. in the capacity that I don't think he expected, which is also could be such a shock for a lot of people. Yeah. Because she was saying how she was, like, no longer cooking and no longer cleaning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she had a ring of mold around her sink. Yeah. So I was like, uh, this is an interesting... Mm-hmm. This is an interesting thing to, yeah. And thankfully, I think, like, what keeps it okay is that he's still going to work every day. Right. And, like, so he still has that separation where, like, not all of his life is her. Is about her, yeah. And her life is all him right now, but that's because that's, like, the only ray of light she has. Yeah. And as she gets better, she starts... She starts, like, Doing practicing her violin for just mm-hmm. a little bit and is starting to, like, do stuff for herself again. So yeah. so this whole process yeah. takes two years, is what our book says. Like, she just heals slowly. So the thing that, like, is the culmination of her wanting to, or her fully on the road to healing Mm-hmm. and reconciling is her mom coming over after his funeral and everything and was just like hey I love you I heard yep. from Faith that you're autistic and I and like your sister did reading mm-hmm. like did some reading and did some research and I think that a lot of it fits and, I, and then she does something that Priscilla didn't do which is I'm sorry that I wasn't able to better support you yes I did what I could and I know that's not helpful to you right now but I didn't do it because I hated you. Mm-hmm. Did it because I thought that was a good thing for you, and I wasn't right. operating with the full set of information. And she Which, shows regret. She's like, "Yeah, I, not only I'm sorry I did this, but if I could do it again, I would do it differently." Which is really nice. Yes, because she went to she went back to the house for her dad's funeral, and she had that thing with her sister where she apologizes to fucking priscilla Mm, yeah and they hug and i was like this is the moment where she's either gonna be redeemable or get her comeuppance Mm -hmm. and neither of those things happened i was so upset because priscilla still sucks and says that she won't apologize Mm -hmm. and 
all well not not to belittle what Anna does because it is a very important step for her yes is to just like draw the line and be like okay then we're not having a relationship because you cannot like literally cannot be nice to me and empathize Mm -hmm. for me for some Mm -hmm. reason um and so she like draws that line which is like all Quan was asking for was like speak up for yourself speak up for me and she does that right um and that's a huge deal and very realistic Mm -hmm. but this is this is fiction so i selfishly really wanted catharticism yeah or at least like i wanted the mom maybe to like come into the room put her in her place because like the mom is there is there and the like i get that priscilla is older but above all else the mom is their mom so like that's where the respect is going so like priscilla might understand that if like her mother was telling her like she has to have a different tune i just wanted someone to rip her a new one because i wanted to rip her a new one and it didn't happen and i yeah have lingering resentment obviously um yeah but anyways very realistically anna just goes you're my family so there's not a lot i can do except Mm -hmm. this is the line and i won't let you cross it again right very powerful love that for her yes ah yeah so they don't have a relationship at the end of it her mom implores her to try again and it's like we'll see where priscilla is coming from which like honestly pissed me off a little no yeah me too like priscilla is in the wrong here like yes she's also hurt and grieving but like no one else was taking it out on other people Mm -hmm. uh the way priscilla was yeah and again it was that thing of like the person who was wronged isn't the one that needs to do the work Mm -hmm. like you can't ask Anna to do any more emotional labor, especially after what we have went through with her this entire book, which is just 90% unwanted right. emotional labor. Yeah. So, and and then there's, like, some, like, mention of Priscilla again when Anna is looking for new violins because she's finally wanting to play again and everything. Um but instead, what happens is that she picks out her own violin and her mom and Priscilla, like, don't have a say in what she gets, which Yay. is great. Yay. Um, and her mom is understanding of that, too, which very. is what I found very nice. She's just like, okay, you won't you won't play it because your sister picked it out. Fine. Mm-hmm. I get it. Do what you want. She's like, but at least get a nice one, please. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because her mom and Priscilla had originally picked out one that would cost, like, as much as a house. Which, what? Yeah. Like, ah. Um, So now, fast forward however many years, months? two years. Yeah, but it took her two years from, okay, I guess. I'm just thinking about, like, the timeline here where, like, how long was part three? Because I would assume mm. like part three was at least half a year. And she says it's two years after her father's death in the epilogue. Right. Okay. But I see what you're still. saying. It's so a the timeline time. itself is very murky. But I think mm-hmm. the point was just like recovery doesn't happen. Yes. Because you had a nice conversation with somebody. Yes. So and I appreciated I- that Helen was still like, was still very careful about that depiction. Because mm-hmm. Anna was just like, I still play and I still play in circles. Mm-hmm. 
but eventually I was able to stop and then eventually I saw a psychiatrist and got on medication and yep. it was even better after that point. Right. And now it's two-ish years later. And what I like is like there's no dates in this book. Mm-hmm. So like it, it's definitely a timeless thing. Like grief is always going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so she's able to play in a small crowd of around 50 people. And that's where it ends. And she's recording for her record deal, which I guess was on indefinite hold. Wow. Um, Which like good, good record company, I guess. Yeah. Very understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a lovely ending. Yeah. And as I was reading it, I was like, I can't say this is a romance novel then. That was my very next point, which is like the ending cemented the fact that this is an Anna story and not mm-hmm. an Anna and Quan story because the right. HEA is usually the both of them together yes. being cute. But this ending was just she's having a moment of victory over something that she was struggling with alone mm-hmm. the whole time, which is her music. Yes. And she mentions and like, Quan, but it's not them and he's too. There. And he's yes. there. Um, and Priscilla wasn't. Priscilla's not. So the people that are there, she says, my honey, Quan, cute, love it. Um, she says she's so overwhelmed with love for him that I feel like my chest is going to burst open. And next to him is her mom, um, along with her rich, like her group of posh friends, because they're still rich. And on other, on Quan's other side are two faces I've never seen in real life, but I recognize them right away. Rosie and Susie, her good friends who are sporadically throughout this novel that we did not mention because they're not that important. Sorry, They Rosie. text her. Sorry to them. Yeah. It's on her cat memes. It's, it's a parasocial relationship. Okay, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. It's fine. And then the last lines are, this group is small, but it's good. It's all that I need. Feeling emotional and very much alive, I lift my violin to my chin and I set my bow bow upon the strings I play and that's it and it was wonderful but what would you categorize this as like I would not be shocked to see it in romance shelves because the last two are romance yes I would not be shocked to see it in general fiction either and like all the markers are technically there Mm -hmm. so like the setup the begrudging the happy stretch, the third act breakup, the getting back together. So, like, all of those markers is there. Right. But the central story, it's not that it was a B plot, but it was definitely not, like, the whole plot. Like, their relationship was not the whole plot. Yeah. So I would similarly agree that this is one of those hybrid situations that really people can't be mad at mm-hmm. if they pick it up in general fiction. They... It's not that mad because the book is good and I genuinely believe that anyone who reads it yeah. will enjoy it. But if you go into it expecting what is on the back, the synopsis not. is very much not. And mm-hmm. we touched on, the, on this in the beginning where like that is a lot of what we saw on Goodreads is like the people who didn't rate it or didn't rate it well all said that it wasn't the writing mm-hmm. it was just they were so intensely triggered yes that the experience wasn't ended up being like not enjoyable mm-hmm. and i think it is interesting that like 
readers, once they see an author do something twice, they expect that from them every single time. And I will say when I, and I follow Helen Huang on our podcast um, Instagram. And when the heart principle came out, she was actually getting a good amount of like criticism because it wasn't fun and happy and like everything she's written before. I see that she like posted on Instagram. That was like, it, and it felt like, oh my gosh, no, don't apologize. But she was like, I'm sorry, I couldn't give you like what I wanted. And like, I'm, and like apologizing. And then there was like so many authors in the comments being like, no, this is a wonderful book. Just because it's not up to people's expectations doesn't mean it's not good. Um, so I'd like to just remind our listeners. Right. We, I like highly recommend this book. It's not. So do I. Yes. It's not like a romance tied and true but it is wonderful and if you liked the previous two books or any of our other ones you will like this one it's just a lot deeper and heavier right i it's not even a criticism it's just more like a by the way Mm -hmm. go into it expecting these things you're not caught off guard and like you know go down a dark path yourself and i will say like i don't i feel like i might have felt like a bit unsettled after reading the end being like oh that's it but I read the author's note afterwards so did I and it just like really puts the book in like an amazing perspective right where I'm like so she Helen Huang basically said this is like halfway a memoir Mm -hmm. because she herself so like a lot of this probably came from a very personal place and personal experiences so that made what you said about her Instagram like the parallels between this and what Anna was experiencing with her art very like I can't imagine that that was a fun time for her because a lot of what Anna was going through is her therapist being like you're not going to please everybody with your art that's what that's the nature of art and she kept trying the whole time she keeps restarting because she wants to be able to please everybody and now having Helen Huang who already said that this is halfway a memoir for her saying like i'm sorry this book wasn't what you guys wanted makes me want to reach out and be like hey we loved it really good and you did a very good job and it elicited very strong emotions for me yeah which means you did your job right and it's like it's not your fault that like the book then wasn't marketed or like Right. put out correctly that everyone assumed like the synopsis is yeah. a, little, a bit misleading people but stalking that's because it that's, in romance is also a little misleading but that's because that's because that's what makes it. money right exactly so it's not her fault like this book is wonderful it's just not what people expected yep there was this really interesting podcast that I was listening to. Um, it's called Good For You by Nicole Perkins, but they were talking about as authors, should they even interact with fan reviews? Like if that is a space for them. And Nicole, I forgot where, what side of the fence she fell on, but the person she was interviewing was just like, I'm of the firm belief that like a review, like a review space, like Goodread or Book Talk or Bookstagram mm-hmm. is a fan space like yeah a space built for readers to recommend things to other readers it's not a space for the creator it's not a space for the author Mm -hmm. and I think this is like a good 
not I don't, I don't know do what you want authors i'm not going to tell you to like right. not interact with your fans if you don't want to but i think this is a good example of like the reason you write something isn't necessarily going to match up with the reason someone reads it mm-hmm. yeah and, I think and that isn't personal one way or the other yeah and i would say like the consensus on like book twitter and romance book twitter is that like review spaces are for reviewers and readers and Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. like some authors still go in and it's like okay in doing that it might make like a reviewer uncomfortable but there's also the flip side of like when you are a reviewer you both feel the pressure to like review something nicely if you're sent it even if it is like unsolicited or like free opinions and stuff because if you dislike a book sometimes they just won't send you other ones yeah you don't want to like burn burn those bridges but it is like a brave thing to do that then but some people will still tag like the marketing team and the authors and that's a step too much because it's like right right don't do that you still have to have respect like reviewers have to have respect for the authors even if they don't like their book and authors have Mm -hmm. to respect the reviewers for not intruding on their space of course yes and I mean, we are, we know how dear this podcast is to us. It's our baby. And mm-hmm. a lot of these books are these authors' babies. So, like, yeah. of course, you know, we're not going to tag you. No. If it's a, like a less than favorable <laughs> review. Sometimes and I wish that would just be the standard of operations. Yeah. Sometimes I like, I would say I wouldn't even tag people in favorable reviews like this one or other ones we've done because, right. like, we do get nitpicky. And not this, this is not for them. Yeah. Like I'm sure they don't want to hear like the little menial criticisms we have that like they probably like are like, okay. And we've talked extensively about whether or not we were ready to have an actual author guest on the podcast. And Mm -hmm. I think the decision we both decided on is like, if, and when we do that, it won't be a book reveal. It'll be an interview. Yeah. It'll be an interview or like us reading something that is so far removed from like because we're not gonna put them in that we're not gonna put them in that position of judging someone else's work or listening to us discuss their own work in any sort of a critical way like that would just be intensely uncomfortable on both ends yeah so anyways that was a little tirade but an important one i feel like that was a fair wrap-up because this is the sort of narrative that's like going around with this book right now. Mm-hmm. And we didn't do Simp or Psycho. Oh, I, well. But we can both I called agree. him a simp. He's, he's a simp. I did call him a simp. Yeah. I mean, the only psychotic thing was, again, self, like, is towards himself. The Grand which Canyon. doesn't make it okay. Which doesn't but, make it okay. But, but he's a does, great romantic But he's lead. a great dude. I mean, come on. In the heat of the moment, being slighted like that, everyone, uh-huh. if you told that story, was like, this girl I was really into said she was really into me, and then she announced she was getting married. Mm-hmm. Everyone would not blame you if you were like, and then I called her a bitch and stomped off. Exactly. All of your friends and anyone listening to that story would be like, fuck yeah. Yeah, Good you for do you. Nope. But the fact that he was still able to be like, no, we're not having this conversation Mm-hmm. because I don't want to say something that will hurt you. Wonderful. This is over. Oh, come on. He's a wonderful what a guy. man. Okay. So what would you rate this book, Kim? I would rate it 
4.8 ripped bodices <laughs> out of five ripped bodices. I'm interested to know why the distinction between point, like why point eight, like not point five. I know, five. I know it's very specific, but it was just like four point five is still like I enjoyed it more than a four point five. Mm-hmm. But it's not but quite I, five. Yeah, I mean, it was again. It was not the writing. It was just personal preference of like, mm-hmm. I didn't get the payoff with Priscilla. Mm-hmm. I wish there I, were more explicit sex scenes. Like, I wish we had that, one or two more. Right. So it was like personal, personal preferences mm-hmm. that kept it from a five for me. Yeah. Well, I have to agree. Mine is a four point five ripped bodices, uh, for the same reasons. I just like even numbers. And so I know we're already at two hours, but I got to say it real quick. Uh huh. We felt so deeply for these characters that we like invented headcanons oh my God. last night. I forgot that we were supposed to talk about this. We did. Because like we said, we've read other works with autistic characters. So we were just saying, wouldn't it be so freaking adorable so if good. Anna and... Um, Eve from after age Eve Brown somehow met mm-hmm. because Eve who is also autistic but is like wildly unrepentant about how other people perceive her in a way that Anna could use a little bit more of if they met each other yeah and I think Anna would be in such awe of Eve's like purple hair and bright pink lipstick yes and she'd say something like, oh, I wish I could. Yeah, she'd say something real shy and it's like, oh, I wish I could do that. And then Eve being Eve would immediately be like, here's my lip gloss. Mm-hmm. Let's go shopping. Yeah, it would be so cute. And I think like Anna really needs not better friends because I'm sure her friends are great. But I would like she needs to see a support, support system. And from someone that gets it yes which is why i wanted to see like a scene with her and kai or a scene with her and stella to be like look this you're not a freak you're not alone your your behavior is not weird or wrong it's just how you behave like and that's there is perfectly a, yeah. acceptable there is a lot of internalized like moral judgment that she has aimed towards herself yeah so we were doing little head cannons about that and, and we're also about that. the fact that Quan and Jacob would probably get along so well. It was so cute. Or like, and you even brought in Marcus Castor up. Oh my god! And like they, I don't know, they would trade like exercise tips or something oh. together because they're both like hot and buff. Yeah, and Jacob would and be like softies there because he likes working out <laughs> and having a great body. But like, he'd be like these these people are like broing out. <laughs> I don't know, and, and there's and they all have the common thread of deeply in love with their partner. That uh-huh. I think it would just be like, oh come on, it yeah. would be so sweet. Three simps in a room together, gimme. <sighs> Give it so to me. So how'd you two meet? Yeah, <laughs> she ran me over with a car. <laughs> uh, Anyways, if there's any fanfic for writers out there, I don't want to yeah. solicit fanfic for free, but this is just. This is just the thought. We would like to see a Hibbert Huang crossover event. Thank you very much. So good. We would give you so many shout outs on mm-hmm. the pod. We would maybe even post it on our Instagram. We sure We'd be so would. excited. Can we do this ourselves? Sure. 
Will we? Do we have the time? No. No. Sure don't. Okay. So I think that's that. Yeah. What so a, thank you. What a good read. It was. It was a journey. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a lot, and it was all good, and it was very emotional. Oh, so thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ripping on Modest Rippers. Mm-hmm. As always, if you enjoyed your experience with us, please give us five stars. Give us a review on whatever platform you're listening to, which would really help us. It sure in would. The, what is it called in the algorithm of the Love. Google and the Apple? All the alg- algorithms. Uh, our Twitter and Instagram is at ripping on pod. Mm-hmm. Our Gmail is ripping on bondusrippers at gmail.com. Quite long, but you can do it. Enter. Give it us in. a shout. Yeah, and that's that. So we'll have um we'll be all seeing this in February, March ish springtime. Just know that it is December right now for us. Yeah. So happy we are holidays. from the past. We this is past us and we're wishing you a happy holidays whatever you future me i hope future me got accepted into medical school i hope future me has a job i have a job interview tomorrow so ah yay send us good vibes everyone so until next time go yell at your sister yeah do it i'll send my sister a happy text to even out the karma (laughs) 